Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello and thank you for joining us today. This is Daniel Lam, Head of Equity Strategy at the WMCIO office. This week has been dominated by yet another higher than expected US headline inflation figure at 9.1%, a 40-year high. This is prompting talks about the Fed going even more aggressive in the rate high path. Also on the FX front, there has been dramatic moves as the euro broke below parity versus the US dollar. With me today to talk about recent developments and what it means for you as an investor is Manpreet Gill, who runs our fixed income, currencies and commodities team within the WMCIO office. Now today, what we'll be discussing are the following. First of all, the bond and equity markets response to the high US inflation print. Secondly, key takeaways from the US earnings season so far. Thirdly, the continued US dollar strength. Fourthly, the drop in oil and commodities amid rising recession worries. And lastly, thoughts on China property stocks and bonds. Hi, Manpreet, and thanks for joining me in this very interesting time in the markets. Now, first question, let's start with the economy. This very high print in US CPI. How do you think this would influence the Fed's decision later this month? And what has been the response from bonds and equities so far? Um, hi, Daniel. Um, yes, I, I think the last U.S. inflation number is indeed a high number. Um, it, it was above all the individual consensus forecasts. Uh, and there were a few silver linings because if you look at the month-on-month data, we saw an acceleration across both the main and the core inflation number. So it isn't a surprise that we have seen a, a bit of a market reaction in terms of Fed policy expectations. Now, in terms of your question on what's the influence on Fed policy, uh, we do think it starts raising the risk that we get a bigger move. Uh, arguably, the inflation number does cement at least a 75 basis point rate hike. Uh, but we'd be of the view that it raises the risks that we see 100 basis points, um, as we saw indeed from the Bank of Canada, uh, and potentially more again at, at sept- the September meeting. So uh, that's what we need to be on watch for. But again, the recent market moves have arguably priced that into a large extent. Now, in terms of the response from the bond and equity market uh, markets, I'd argue the response has been relatively positive in the sense that we've seen a return to negative correlation between the equity and bond market. So as equity sort of moved lower, uh, we saw bond prices actually move up so that portfolio diversification benefit really coming through. Additionally, we've got obviously the, the higher rates do re- have been raising worries about a recession. Uh, and that to an extent is helping cap 10-year bond deals, uh, which is a positive course of, for our view to raise exposure to bonds uh, or income assets indeed more broadly uh, at the expense of equities. The one part of the market reaction, though, which does send a negative signal is that we saw further uh, move into negative territory for the 10 to uh, bond yield curve, which, of course, is, is a strong signal for recession. So those two are sort of the key takeaways, but I think it really fits into our key view to, to add to bonds at the expense of equities. Thank you, Manpreet. Let's zoom into the U.S. earnings season now. So the financials started reporting this week. What are your thoughts on their earnings so far? And what do you see the prospects going forward is for the sector? Thanks. 
Well, we've had uh, only a limited set of earnings so far, but uh, what's coming through from from that sort of small universe is um, first we're seeing an increasing bad loan provisions, and and second, of course, we're seeing a negative impact come through from falling capital market activities. Uh, but I would argue that when you look at the sector as a whole, there are a number of positives to help offset this. So we know we're in a rising interest rate environment, uh, and that, of course, in our view, is positive for the financial sector because the way it helps boost uh, net interest margins. And of course, sector valuations are, in our view, quite attractive with you know, PE valuations, for example, trading at a significant discount to the 10-year average. I think as we get more earnings come through from you know, a larger number of firms in the sector, what really will be key and what we'll be keeping a close eye on is what guidance is regarding loan demand, given we've seen a slump in mortgage applications, and of course, in consumer credit demand, um, and especially whether we see a rise in demand here because we still have a pretty strong job market. So I think those are the factors that, that are quite important as we go through the rest of the earnings sector. Overall, in our view, we still see the sector as preferred because, yes, while there certainly are challenges, uh, we do think the positives outweigh the negatives in a rising rate environment. Great. Now let's move to FX. Very dramatic move as the euro fell below parity versus the US dollar. So what do you think of this strength in the dollar? What do you make of this? Well, I think the strength in the dollar, um, you know, really fits into the theme that we've seen for a large, pretty much all of this year, actually, which is that from amongst all the major drivers of the dollar, it's really been the relative yield differentials that have been the dominant factor. And those, of course, have continued to rise because they've been a function of the Fed, you know, raising the market's expectations of its tightening cycle. Um, so no surprise, last week after the US inflation number, we saw a little bit more of the same story. Now, I think this is a good time, of course, to just you know put this put the move in a bigger picture perspective. Um, on us in a second half outlook, for example, we did note that we expected the dollar to strengthen on one to three month horizon uh, to about 109 on the DXY dollar index, for example. And arguably, while a large part of this move has now occurred, uh, we know the dollar is a momentum currency, so you know there is a risk of an overshoot on the shorter time horizon. Um, but these short term dramatic moves, notwithstanding, when you look out over the 12 months. Uh, we would argue it's, it's you know the case for being bearish on the dollar does still hold. Um, if you look at long-term valuations for the dollar, for example, they're at multi-decade highs. Uh, from this starting point, it's difficult to see how much further Fed expectations could rise. Um, and we're seeing you know more and more of the non-interest uh, um, rate differential drivers of the dollar, relative equity market performance, external balances, relative inflation, for example. All of those, of course, we think shifting increasingly in favor of dollar weakness. So I, I think that's sort of our takeaway from what, what we see and sort of putting that in context. Of course, what that means is euro is the biggest weight in the dollar index. We think the euro, of course, would be a mirror image of that, potentially testing, you know, support around 99 cents versus the dollar. Uh, and be quite interesting how that holds. And GPY, of course, potentially testing, you know, anywhere from 138 to 140 before we start to get that turnaround with the GPY, potentially, you know, offering the biggest move lower uh, in the future. Thanks, Manpreet. Now, oil has been performing very well this year, but it, that too seems to be waning, this performance. Um, what do you see the prospects of oil going forward? Well, I think on oil, we're, we're uh, still relatively constructive. Now, if you think about the fall in oil prices recently, it's really been led, in our view at least, by worries that demand could cool amid rising recession worries in the US and, of course, rising demand worries in China given the renewed uh, COVID outbreaks. Uh, we've had both OPEC and the IEA uh, warn of slowing oil demand as well. So that, that certainly hasn't helped. But when you draw that out and sort of put it in the context of you know the demand supply balance, the oil market, um, the market is still very, very tight. I mean, just to put it in perspective, 
Uh, OPEC expects output uh, a need for output to grow to just over 30 million barrels per day in 2023 to keep up with demand. Uh, and that does look like um, obviously not an easy task given the difficulty many producers have faced just meeting you know the current output quotas. So I think that that tight oil demand does sort of create the case for uh, you know a, a constructive view on oil prices. There are also a number of risks we be keeping close eye on. And I think the big one, of course, is. Uh, you know, whether any delays to the Nord Stream uh, energy pipeline in Europe, because you see any delays there, that will be one route through a geopolitical risk may end up uh, supporting, um, you know, oil prices quite significantly. So overall, I think those two factors do leave us quite constructive on oil prices. I think in the short term, we'd be keeping around $93 on WTI as a key short term support, given that coincides with the 200 day moving average. Uh, but a break above $105 is most probably what we need for the downside pressure to fade. Now, lastly, moving to China, there have been reports about Chinese owners of select property projects threatening to suspend their mortgage repayments. What's the story there and what that means for the China property um, sector and bonds in particular? Well, you're right. There have been a number of reports of disgruntled property owners uh, threatening to suspend payments as developers have been struggling to complete unfinished projects. Now, the silver lining is that the Currently, at least, uh, a lot of these uh, threats are project-specific and have been limited to the relatively weaker developers. But there are two big concerns here for the market, right? Uh, One is the question of whether this spirals into a broader confidence crisis on the sector. Uh, And second are the questions it raises about the risks of spillover uh, to the financial sector via worsening loan provisions. So I think there's a lot of uh, you know questions around you know how authorities are are likely to respond. Uh, But overall, I think when you think about the asset class implications, on the equity side, is consistent with our view to remain cautious on the uh, on the property equity sector. Um, now, on the bond market side, uh, dollar bonds at the sector arguably price in a lot of the distress already. Uh, but when you think about Asia dollar bonds as an asset class, this is a good time to remind ourselves that property uh, is just one sector. Uh, it's you know comprises just about fifteen percent or so of the Asia dollar bond asset class. Um, and when you combine that, of course, with distressed pricing and, and fairly different sort of outlooks for the rest of the asset class, uh, we do remain comfortable with our preferred view on, on Asia dollar bonds as a whole. Thanks, Manpreet, for sharing your thoughts. And thank you to all of you for joining us today. If you want to read more about our market views or strategies for adapting to volatile market conditions, please feel free to go to Standard Charter's Wealth Insights LinkedIn page. We have shared a lot of content over the last few weeks as part of our H2 Outlook, both here and also on our podcast channel. So please feel free to take a look. This would include conversations with Professor Rajan, who is the former IMF Chief Economist and Reserve Bank of India Governor. In the meantime, we wish you a happy weekend and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.